Global Broadcasting Networks presents Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every strong soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. We're here to share resources and experts on topics important to you, the military family. Join us. We've got another great episode starting right now. Here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Global Broadcasting Networks presents Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every strong soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. We're here to share resources and experts on topics important to you, the military family. Join us. We've got another great episode starting right now. Here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and Robin Boyd has the day off. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, We're going to be visiting with a guy. He's a Marine. He was a captain in the United States Marine Corps and a graduate of the United States Naval Academy, so that's pretty cool. And he's had six years of active duty and a deployment to Iraq. Oh, my gosh, he's got so many great things uh, going on here. But more importantly, after he left the military, Byron Chen founded Successful Vets. And you can, uh, for those of you listening live, uh, you can look up Success Vets, S-U-C-C-E-S-S Vets, V-E-T-S dot com, which is a transitioning resource site for veterans and their service members. And I think this is really important because we really talk a lot about transitions and new normals. And when people leave the um, military service for civilian life, there's a lot of things that go on. He's also authored and published a book, Barracks to Boardrooms, Negotiating Your Salary After Serving in the Military, which is available on Amazon. These are really vital uh, issues that affect the military family today. And if you don't like to read, you can also listen to him. He does have his own uh, podcast that interviews uh, veterans who have successfully made the transition um, whether they're transitioning into, you know, the business community, whether they're forming their own entities as entrepreneurs, or they're creating things to help themselves, other vets in the world at large. So I'm really excited to introduce to you Byron uh, Chen, and welcome to the show. Sandra, thanks so much for having me. Byron, I'm so excited. Um, Whenever time we have vets helping vets, I know you guys get it right because as much as the large institutions and public companies try to help the military family, especially the military vet in transition, it's almost like takes one to know one. And even though a lot of these companies have their hearts in the right place, they don't know what they don't know. 
Right, right, right. And I, I love how you use the term new normal uh, because that's really what it was for me when I left the Marine Corps a little over two years ago. I was, I thought I was ready, to be honest. I mean, I, I'd gone through the Naval Academy and, and went to the Marine Corps, was very proud of my service and thought, you know what, this is not going to be that hard of a transition. And I was so wrong, right? Uh, there were just so many things uh, that uh, people didn't let me know, tell me about that I, I needed to prepare myself for. And I thought, you know, the best way to do it is to share the information that I've been learning from other veterans. And uh, I did that by putting together success vets uh, to host a podcast where other veterans get on and, and tell me about their lessons learned and successes after the military. And uh, I've just been paying it forward, trying to add more information, uh, like my book recently, about uh, other skills that veterans and their uh, and uh, other service members and their military families will need, need to know when they get when they transition from the military. Well, and I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head because I hear this again and again. And I've had a lot of shows, um, you know, with veteran transitions and you can't know what you don't know. And it's so important that we share what it looks like, tastes like, feels like, because it is an unknown. You know, if people know how to do it, we wouldn't have shows like this. We wouldn't need companies. And not knowing is part of the drill. Like, you can't know what you don't know. And what would you say was one of the biggest, like, eye-openers during your transition? And I can share you, um, you know, some things that I've experienced or experienced with friends and family, you know, transitioning from military to civilian life, especially entering the workforce, um, what did you find like right off the bat was just a big eye opener? Well, what was really tough for me was I was, I was interviewing for a lot of, with a lot of different companies. Uh, I was working with different recruiters. And so I was practicing my, my interview question responses and I was uh, rewriting my resume over and over. And what I found was, you know, some of the things that I was most proud about uh, in my military background were not things that were relatable, to be honest, right? Like, uh, I wasn't interviewing for convoy commander positions <laughs> in the civilian world. Uh, but that was something that I was really proud about because we uh, deployed to Iraq. We had trained for a long time to do it and, and everybody came home uh, safe. Um, so I kind of had to, you know, compartmentalize that part of my experience. Uh, you know, I, I didn't uh, discredit it. It was something very important to me. But I had to realize, you know what, that's important to me, but that's not real important to everybody else. And if I wanted to be successful in my transition, I had to look at it for, for, from their perspective. So I really started to uh, try to understand what employers were looking for, saw that they were more interested in my project management, for example, or my um, administrative experience. And those were the things that made it to the forefront of my, uh, my resume and also uh, when I was inter answering interview questions, those are the things I talked about. Not the most exciting thing to me as a Marine, uh, but that's, that's what helped me, you know, land me my first job. That's what helped me negotiate my first salary. And, you know, so it was that new normal for me that I had to take on. Well, and it's, it's a lot about knowing what aspect of your experience to pull forward, you know, because, you know, when I look at, you know, your command and things like that, I look at like, wow, you are really great at teamwork. You are really great at organizational skills. Like all these things pop out in order for you to get your guys and gals over there and get them home safe. You know, that's a huge accomplishment, but you're talking one military to another. Right, right. But you can also look at that and go, this is an example of where I excel in teamwork or team building or organizational. But, you know, knowing what story to choose that supports what, you know, skill the employer is looking for is a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different way of looking at an interview. Definitely, definitely. 
And did you find like this is one thing that I had um I hired a lot of military people um in my old office in Beverly Hills and it was really funny Byron because they got everything done and they report back to me when they're done. And it was a huge problem because the civilian workforce wasn't used to that. And they would come and say, yes, ma'am, this will be done. This will be done by tomorrow, you know, Tuesday, 2 p.m. Yes, ma'am, no problem. And, you know, we were like a well-oiled machine. It was like boom, 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 boom. And we were getting all this stuff done. Well, what it did was it totally disrupted the corporate culture and the corporate environment we were working with. And all of a sudden there was like a striation between former military and people who were civilian because they had a different pace, they had a different way of reporting. You know, and for me, it was very comfortable. I'm very comfortable working in a, you know, I basically recreated a military environment, (laughs) you know, in my office. But there were times that, you know, like a need to know basis or a, you know, get to the point or keep it simple, you know, things that we take for granted don't exactly ease social situations within a corporate environment. Did you find that? Definitely. I mean, I, I went through one of those uh, military recruiters to land my first job. And uh, the, the company that I was hired into was, was the hiring manager was making a big push to hire veterans. So when I you know first joined that company, there were a lot of veterans around, was getting along very well. Uh, well, a few months into it, that, that guy left. They put in some some other people in the uh, uh, those positions. Uh, the the vision of what we were trying to do changed. And uh, I would say the, the the camaraderie and the unit organization changed. And lo and behold, uh, about a year later, just about um, one, two, three, four, five out of the seven veterans, four out of the six veterans that had been hired on left. Um, so that I would say that's an unfortunate example. But I mean, there was really a difference, I felt, with uh, the people that I was working with and who the, the veterans whom I really trusted. And then uh, there were definitely civilians that I really trusted as well. But uh, when there wasn't like that good cohesion uh, from the top, uh, it fell apart pretty quickly. Well, that's it. You know, it is it all it is all about integration and cohesion. And, you know, I did a lot of um, sensitivity training at a certain point um, with this company because, you know, just because somebody says yes, no, right away, whatever, doesn't mean they don't have feelings they don't have. But but the thing about military personnel versus civilian, and I'm not dogging the civilian at any way whatsoever. I'm just stating what is. Um, A lot of times in work, feelings don't get into the play of the military employee. It's not about how I feel. It's not about, you know, and so there was some sensitivity training on both sides that had to be done because I mean, to be honest, it, you know, to me, it felt like the civilian people were a bunch of whiners. They couldn't get their job done without complaining. And then, you know, we've got the perception of the former military being a bunch of badass coming in, taking over, taking names. And it was it's a it's a tough transition, but it is well worth it for the manager that's handling these different groups of people. They just have different mindsets. They have different experiences. But together, like we can really create a tight unit with um, if you take the no nonsense approach from the military and the get it done and you know over under any way you can get it done sir and then you bring in like like you just bring in, you know, like elevate both of us together, we become a really tight unit because you got the touchy feelies can be a little less touchy feely. The, you know, go to go to can can, you know, ratchet it back a little bit. You can really optimize a great team. Right, but right. that I mean, requires a top leader. Yeah. 
And I don't think the answer is uh, just uh, that, you know, hire everybody from the military. Uh, like no. you were saying, it takes a great team. And uh, I mean, that, that's sort of the reason I, I started Success Vets. I, I found that uh, there were a lot of things that uh, as uh, somebody leaving the military, things that I could learn and change to improve, um, to work better with those teams. Well, yeah, it's navigating a different system. Like that's one of the things that, um, you know, you, you join the military, you learn how to navigate the system. You learn what works and doesn't work. When you transition into civilian life, especially if you didn't have prior civilian work experience, you know. Oh. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. about the hound dog that participated in a 13-mile race in Elkmont, Alabama? According to Runner's World, the two-and-a-half-year-old hound dog named Ludivine was just horb-gorbling in her backyard when she heard the runners lining up for the trackless train track half-marathon in the distance. Somehow, she found her way to the starting line and began sprinting alongside the other runners. According to Keith Henry, the winner of the race, Ludivine cut in front of him and the other runners several times. They had to be careful not to trip over the pooch. As it turned out, Ludivine crossed the finish line in seventh place with a time of one hour and 33 minutes. According to her owner, that was a pretty impressive showing for a normally Scabberlacher dog. Scabberlacher is another word for lazy. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and Robin Boyd has the day off, and we are visiting with Byron Chen, and he founded Success Vets. And what we're talking about today is when we transition from military service to civilian life, especially in our workforce, there's some bumps and bruises we take along the way, and we talk about navigating a new normal, which anytime you know, you you uh, deploy or you come back or you PCS to another station, you know, we've got to adjust to our new normal. But one of the things that is really tough sometimes for us to jump in and be successful right away is that navigation into the workforce. Uh, earlier on in the show, Byron talked about, you know, knowing how to answer some of these interview questions and knowing what is 
valuable and vital to the person hiring you may not be in alignment with you know, necessarily some of the things that you're most proud of in your military service. And so navigating some of these things uh, really help you, you know, become more successful. And, you know, Byron, have you had any luck? I I haven't had any luck. I'll be honest up front with these like MOS to civilian life job translation software. (laughs) Um, I think they're their hearts right place right 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 yeah well yeah that's, it's, a, that's another that's another great uh, uh good point you bring up i the, one of the reasons i found the transition difficult is because i thought i was going to get a lot of help when i was leaving the military i mean they provide transition classes or a lot of military recruiters and you see all these commercials online about uh, companies trying to hire veterans and all these different veteran helping initiatives and they're great but at the end of the day, it's, you know, what, what truly helps the individual. And, I, you know, for me personally, I learned from, from other veterans and, and my peers. And so, it, yeah, that's great that there's, a, there's an online website with an algorithm that can plug in that, hey, if you were into someone West, you can do this. But we're human beings. We don't really fit into an algorithm very well. And, you know, as you know, as a member of the military and the military community, uh, you don't just do what your MOS is when you're in the military. Uh, I was a military police officer by training, but I was also a series and company commander at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot. So I was in charge of drill instructors. I did a lot of uh, uh, legal investigations uh, as part of my job as a uh, as a manager of you know personnel, a lot of uh, discipline and, and punishment, and and also I did a lot of writing and all of these things I do now. Uh, but you wouldn't expect that, and you would never get that out of uh, if you plug that into some MOS translator. And I think you know when you're leaving, you have to sort of realize that those those tools that are out there may not be the best, and you have to keep uh, pursuing uh, different ways to personally develop yourself so that you can figure out uh, what is it that you can do, and you have the exp- you have the skills to do, and what you want to do. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things, too, is what we did in our military career might not be what we want to do in our civilian. You know, that's another thing. It doesn't allow you just because you have this like software job translator, you know, it doesn't give you a whole lot of wiggle room to to explore what you want to do or what's available in your area. Like that's another one. I mean, so many of our service men and women come from like me, like little teeny dink towns where, you know, you could be a chicken farmer, a pig farmer, a corn farmer, take your pick. Um, you know, what can you really, you know, what, what's really available to you? Because if you're in, you know, where are you, Byron? Are you out in New Jersey? I'm actually out in San Diego right now. Oh, you're down in San Diego. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're in, well, you're in a great position because you're in a a heavily saturated military community. People, you know, you can't swing a dead cat around there without hitting somebody (laughs) who served. Yeah. But, you know, if you're in, you know, like me up near the Canadian border, you know, in farmland country, um, it's going to be a little different in, in what's available to you. So it's really very individual, but I think the themes remain the same. Like, how do you uh, talk to somebody in an interview? How do you answer certain questions? You know, in interviews, we get a lot of the same questions. Right, 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 right. And so for, 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 for me, when I think about that problem, first I tell people, you know, take a step back. Uh, it's important to have a mindset change. If you're coming out of the military and you're thinking, you know, I need to just respond straightforwardly and you know what's uh, what's off the top of my head uh, i would say sometimes you know you you could get yourself in a uh, sticky situation right because 
in an interview, they're looking for something short, succinct, and that fills the um, fills requirements of the job that they're looking for. Uh, so I always tell people, you know, always think of the other side first. Um, that's constantly what I'm doing and now when I advise other veterans. So if you're looking at a, 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 a job interview, you should be researching that position and looking at the position requirements. Really, what's, you know, what are they looking for and what kind of skills do they need? And I think what you'll find as a veteran or anybody coming from the, from the military is that you've done so much and such a wide variety of things, yet you have experience in it. It might not be exactly what they call it, but you have experience in it. Now that you can put those two together, you, have, you understand what the job requirement is, you understand that you did have experience in that area, you can bring those two together in an interview and explain, hey, this is actually what I did. It doesn't sound the same. Uh, you know, when you tra- if you don't, if I didn't translate it, but I do have experience in that area, and I think that's that's a big advantage that that uh, veterans need to understand. Well, and I think also, you know, veterans, you know, I'm going to chime in here because I think veterans need to understand that they come ready. You know, a lot of times, you know, the confidence that that you have have achieved in your successful military career is really well translatable to your civilian career. And that can do attitude, the idea that, you know, you'll you'll figure it out, you know, you'll get it done. There's there's no failure, you know, or failure is not an option, whatever the slang of the day is. But that attitude coming into an employer is really valuable. So, you know, I know some of my military friends, they shortchange them themselves in the military or in the civilian interview, um, you know, when they talk about problem solving, when they talk about adjusting, they talk about transitioning and handling change and managing stress and, you know, handling tough situations, you know, that's where the military person really shines. And, um, the can-do attitude, that's another one. Like, you know, I can figure it out. I can learn this. I'm, I'm you know, I'm trainable, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and to, to help other, to your listeners, uh, for the guests that have been on my show, people I've interviewed that have been very successful, who are CEOs, uh, who have gone on from the, the military and gone into jobs like consulting uh, and, and design and, and being authors, there's uh, two things that they always mention that I think applies to anybody if they're trying to be successful in the next thing that they're doing. Uh, and that is networking and mentorship. So network, and I think they kind of relate networking as in, you know, finding a group of people that, that can support you and help you and that you can also help. So a new peer group, uh, like the camaraderie that you had in the military and mentorship, finding people that are in the industry, uh, that you want to excel in reaching out to those people and, uh, talking to them to understand what it is you need to do to, progress in your career. Because like you said, you know, veterans have a lot of the fundamentals, good work ethic, uh, great at working in teams, great at solving problems. Now, how do you apply it to uh, your next job or how do you apply it so that you can leverage it so you continue to move up in your career? And you can't do that just by figuring it out in a vacuum. You have to find it out from, from other people that have been there. And there are a lot of people very willing to help that I have found, especially other veterans. And so I'm always pushing that, you know, reach out to other veterans that you can. There's so many great tools out there today and reach out to other, other veterans that are uh, really successful uh, in their careers who can be mentors to you. And it doesn't just have to be veterans. There are a lot of civilians that also want to help veterans and, and uh, military families uh, succeed when they leave the military. 
Well, and start before you you leave. You know, that was the one thing. Like I did a show a couple years ago that we were talking about, you know, when you're getting ready to leave the military, before you get to, to you know, collect people's information, get their contact information, make sure you got all this stuff in hand. And when your buddies leave, you know, keep track of them. You know, that's part of your networking circle, uh, you know, when you, when you enter into civilian life because – Transitioning is a whole lot easier. I know a lot of my buddies got hired down in um, Irvine by Pepsi. And, you know, that was like the the Camp Pendleton pipeline, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Pendleton, you just flew right into the, you know, into PepsiCo. And, you know, the guys that knew each other before and kept in touch, I think, I'm sure it was like one guy got hired at Pepsi and then all of a sudden just like, you know, vacuumed up the rest of them, um, you know, as they left the service. But that's, that's a lot how it works. I see it happen in Northrop Grumman. My my one brother works for Northrop Grumman. My other brother works for JPL. And they hire their buddies and they bring people in. And, you know, that's a lot about how it works. And if you're a young new manager at a company, yeah, you're going to go back to your service and go, okay, who's out? Who's good? Who was good in my unit? Who could I really benefit from? And if you guys are in communication and boy, social media makes it really easy to stay in touch with everybody, you know, friend them, LinkedIn with them, you know, do those things so that you have choices when you come out and you have resources. Right, right. And and just to add to that, I had a guest on my show. Her name was uh, Melissa Washington. She's a LinkedIn expert and a uh, career uh, career recruiting expert. And she, she told me that the majority of job positions are filled by referrals. So by the time a job even gets out to uh, LinkedIn or a posting or the classifieds, uh, it's, in, it's already been vetted internally by that company. You know, most companies trust that their employees can figure out, you know, who else would fit in this culture and they're the people they're looking to hire first. So if you want first crack at a job, that's the best way to do it. Um, finding out from your network and keeping your ear to the ground and, and uh, finding out from others when a position is available. Right, and asking. I see, you know, in my social media all the time, I'll see somebody say, hey, look, you know, I'm looking for a job or my friend, you know, is leaving the military. He's looking for X, Y, and Z. You know, you put that up in your social networking sphere and, you know, you can private message people or you can put a public post up and then people can private message you. You know, people don't know you're looking for a job until you tell them. And if you... (laughs) put up, hey, I'm transitioning and I'm going to be living in this area. Does anybody know of any great jobs? You know, I, I connect people all the time and I know there's lots of people out there that, that like to do that as part of their, you know, assisting, you know, people who fought for our freedoms. I'm going to take us to commercial break, uh, Byron, but how can people get a hold of you? Check out uh, successvets.com and uh, they can always reach out to me via email, Byron at successvets.com or on Twitter at successvets. Okay, so S-U-C-C-E-S-S-V-E-T-S dot com. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about uh, some of the different topics that we cover in a typical job interview. And we're going to talk about negotiation. Now, this is a big deal because money is money. And the more money you get, the easier your life is most of the time. And negotiation isn't really a strong point of most uh, military personnel. And really, should you negotiate? You know, people have lots of opinions on this we're going to talk with byron of success vets when we come back from the break about this and many other topics on military mom talk radio (laughs) 
February is National Chocolate Month. Historians say the Aztecs discovered chocolate 3,100 years ago, and it was revered to the point of worship. The word chocolate comes from the Aztec word chocolatl, which referred to the bitter, spicy drink the Aztecs made from the cacao beans. The first chocolate bar was invented in 1847 by Joseph Fry. Did you know that it takes one year for a cacao tree to produce enough pods to make 10 chocolate bars? The scientific name for the tree that chocolate comes from, Theobroma cacao, means food of the gods. Man cannot live by chocolate alone, but we women sure can. Personally, I could give up chocolate, but I'm not a quitter. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central, on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and Robin Boyd has the day off. We're visiting with Byron Chen of Success Vets. Now, for those of you listening today, I encourage you to encourage your spouse, your child, your friend to listen to uh, this episode. It's available on iTunes. It's also available at our host station, Toginet, that's T-O-G-I-N-E-T dot com. You can also go to MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com to pick up this episode and over 250 hours of family-friendly military entertainment and talk radio. We cover everything from deployment issues to uh, post-traumatic stress, how it affects the family and the kids. We talk about health and fitness, and we also talk about transitioning and uh, getting employed as well as military benefits. So you want to check these things out. You want to check out our guest today, Byron Chen, uh, Success Vets, S-U-C-C-E-S-S-V, ETS success vets you're going to want to check him out if you are uh, going into the workforce transitioning into the civilian workforce or your family members and friends are doing that because we know most of the information in the military family comes from where it should be from the boss down which is the mom the mom is usually the gatekeeper of the information for the family they're also the one holding all the pieces together so no disrespect to our men but that's just I call it the way I see it now we're going to talk about salary negotiation because that's one of the biggest questions that come up should I negotiate with my salary you know there's pros and cons to each and I'm going to turn the mic over to Byron to talk about that because he's got a lot more experience than I do 
<laughs> Thanks, Sandra. I always well, ask for more money. <laughs> that's yeah, just that's me. you know what? If that's the one thing that your listeners take away from this, I think then I, I will I've done, I will have done my job. Uh, so the uh, I I wrote uh, barracks to boardrooms, uh, negotiating your salary after serving in the military because that was a question that kept coming up on my website. And at first, you know, I don't I don't see myself as an expert, but uh, from my military background, I'm good at you know, taking concepts and teaching them to a large group of people. And that was my goal. Um, I did ex- go through quite a few negotiations when I was uh, in my career, uh, right after the military. And I took those lessons earned and, and put them into this book. So let me start off by saying, yeah, salary negotiation is not a veteran or military problem. It is an everybody problem. So two, two very important facts, depending on uh, where you, what sources you go to, um, in my research, I found the majority of people do not negotiate. In fact, the majority of people never negotiate. It's from like 50 to 60%, uh, some pretty crazy numbers. And then if you look on the flip side, uh, 40 to 60% of companies say that they're, one, willing to negotiate, or two, assume that there is going to be a negotiation. So those two numbers don't match up. Most people don't negotiate, yet their employers expect people to. So what does that mean? Most people then are getting hired on at a discount to their employers. And to me, that, that's sad because that means people aren't getting what they deserve. They're not earning as much as they can. And it's not because money is the most important thing. Uh, what I uh, you know, really learned throughout this process of, of researching about salary negotiation, it's, it's really feeling you know, worthy and feeling respected for what you do. So, uh, yes, you should negotiate, uh, and it's not... Uh, very difficult. You're not going to annoy your, excuse me, not, it's not that it's not very difficult. It depends on, you know, your own, your personality and, and how you uh, communicate, but um, it's not unreasonable when you try to negotiate. So I suggest everybody at least try it or at least figure it, you know, do the things that you need to do to make sure that you're earning uh, what's fair for you. Well, and Byron, let's talk a little bit about the psychology of money because it, I think the military community, the military family at its core, um, has some different considerations um, with money than your typical, you know, greedy family. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to say it that way. Well, but- I- you know, but, you I don't know, necessarily think that, that, that greediness is a bad thing. Let's say, let's say fairness. You want to be, you want to be treated fairly. You do. And, what uh, I was getting at, and I was just kind of making a joke there, but what I'm getting at is that you don't join the military to make a million dollars. No, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, great point. Great point. And, and so, I think that the the mindset change you have to make from from the military is that you actually have to ask for the things that you want, or oh no, you have to ask for the things that you deserve. Um, when you when you leave the military, uh, very when, much while so. you're in, yeah, and and I I think most people are raised this way is to speak with your actions, right? You do a good job, um, you you live a good life, and and you do the right things, and you hope to be rewarded and recognized for it. Uh, and and in the military, that's generally the the way that it's done. You you perform, everybody gets the same salary. Uh, you, your actions and, and what you do for the person next to you and, and for your country are what matters. Uh, when you get to the uh, civilian sector, though, there, or the private sector, there is a, actually a whole lot more leeway. Uh, and I think of this as a good thing. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. You have the opportunity to uh, fight for what you deserve because we're all very different. We all bring a lot of different skills and experiences to a, to a position. And 
you know, those things don't all fit on a resume. So when it comes to a salary negotiation, you're really pointing out all these little different differentiators that make you unique. And if you're coming from the military, you might have, you might be competitive at the same level as another candidate uh, just on paper. But when you bring to bear all your work experience and all the things that you can provide and your leadership, you really are a standout candidate. And that makes you, uh, that puts you in a very good, good position uh, to negotiate and, and earn more than if you were just hired on and they and accepted whatever they offered you. Well, and I think one of the things like this is where, you know, things get tripped up on my end is in the military, you have a clear career path. You know, you you have length of service, you have, you know, benefits, you you know, you get, you know, nice little jewelry to wear on your your uniform. But there's a pretty clear career path. The thing that that a lot of my friends and that I have a hard time with is when you go into some of these civilian organizations or civilian groups, and I think specifically like, you know, of real estate and some of these sales groups, and now you're like, it's Mr. Toad's wild ride. How did that guy get promoted? You know, and it's – or – you know, it, it's it feels really unfair, and not that the military is always fair. Let's be honest, right, right. but but it's it's not as structured. So that clear career path—that's where mentoring really, really, I think, comes in and saves the day. Yes, I, I, I learn my salary negotiation skills from my mentors. So that's uh, the first thing. You know, look for look to other people for advice. People that have done it and people that have been there. Uh, secondly, I would say embrace the uncertainty. You know, coming from the military, you're used to working in uncertain environments. This one, you might not realize, is just uh, like those other uncertain environments. Uh, if you take action, uh, if you uh, learn what you can, if you are prepared, then you can still succeed. And it'll all seem much clearer to you uh, when you do that homework. And so when it comes to salary negotiation, uh, the homework is really being prepared. That's understanding you know, what job you're going for and what salaries those jobs get in the industry. So another crazy fact, uh, crazy data point that I, that I learned when I was researching for the book was that uh, about 20 to 30% of people, when they go into a job position, don't even know what the salary range is uh, for, that, uh, for, that, for that job across, across the nation. They, they have no idea. So they have no idea if they're getting an offer that's, uh, that's good or bad, below average, above average, no clue. Um, just by that little one fact alone, if you did your homework, uh, asked other people, uh, did, su- did a quick search online and, and knew what uh, the value of that job was, then you could just say, hey, this is, this is what I think is, is uh, what the market is paying and this is what I would expect if I'm going to take on this job. That alone uh, will save a lot of people a lot of trouble when it comes to negotiating. Well, and one of the things I just want to throw out here is, you know, in the competitive workforce, your boss's job is to get you to do that work for the least amount of money possible. That's a little different than, you know, your superior in the military who's going to reward you for your service. Really, really different mindsets. Because, well, they're both different types of reward. In the military, we don't have the ability to increase your salary as a reward. So uh, what should a good leader do? They should be looking at ways to uh, either, you know, motivating you or, or writing you up for for awards and things like that, or recognize you in different ways. Uh, on the in the private sector, you, they don't have awards and things like that. So how do they reward somebody through incentives and through salary? Usually, I mean there are other ways as well. And what I like to tell people is that one of the big arguments, Hendra, that I get whenever I talk about salary negotiation is people say, "Well, I just work hard at my job, 
and I let those things figure themselves out. And <laughs> yeah, to me, it's to me, it's disappointing. You would, if you have control over anything regarding your success, like if you can work hard, let's say you're playing a sport, you work hard every day and you practice. Why? Because those things lead to your success. Salary negotiation isn't about you being greedy. It's not about you doing anything um, out of the ordinary. It's you contributing to your own success. You have to at least ask the question to be able to play that game. So uh, you have to put it out there that to your employer that, hey, you know, I expect to be recognized for 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 the outstanding job that I do. And <laughs> let's also make that clear. It's important for you to be a good employee, of course. Um, but, you know, I, I want to be recognized for it because like you said, uh, they're a business. At the end of the day, they want to have the best workers possible for <laughs> the least amount of money or whatever they need to keep you happy. So let them know to keep you happy, you would like uh, a little bit more than what their, what, whatever their expectation is for everybody else. Well, and the funny thing that happens when you stand your ground with salary and you, you know, expect to be paid well and you are paid well and you do an outstanding job, you're actually valued more in a lot yes. of ways than if you had undervalued yourself and done an outstanding job because then you're just a chump. Right. You, will, you know what A players do or, or, or top performers, uh, Steve Jobs said this in his book, uh, they want to be with other play, A players, but they want to be treated like A players. So what do A players do? Uh, they, they work hard, they do good work, and then they expect to be recognized for it. Right, and compensated for it. Yep, yep. Absolutely. And the, and the compensation doesn't always have to come down to money. What I also tell people is when you negotiate, it's not just about the most that you can get. It's, you know, what do you, what would you like? Some people want to work from home so they can uh, have the opportunity to take their kids to work and drop them off. That doesn't cost the money, the, the company, any difference in money, but it could be very important for you. So those are things that you need to think about uh, for yourself when you're, when you're evaluating your whole compensation. Yeah, and we're going to talk about working from home when we come back from the break because a lot of the aerospace industries, defense contractor industries are doing that right now, and I've got some insight into it, so you're not going to want to miss that when we come back from the break. We're visiting today with Byron Chen. His website, successvets.com. That's S-U-C-C-E-S-S-V-E-T-S.com. Byron Chen is our guest. We'll be back uh in the next segment, we're going to talk about telecommuting, working from home, or any combination of that in a, uh, with respect to the traditional workforce. More after the break. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velasi's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velasi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, 
ingenuity and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures. To her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons, her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine, and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and Robin Boyd has the day off, and we're visiting today with Byron Chen of SuccessVets.com. And before we went to commercial break, we were talking about telecommuting, working from home. Now, as many of you regular listeners know, I own a company, Motherhood Incorporated, that employs moms, a lot of military wives, uh, to work from home in the tech fields, and we cover everything from missile defense programming to bookkeeping, and one of the things that happens when you're a mom is you might be like me and have elder care issues and child care issues. I care for my 81-year-old dad. I got a six and a nine-year-old boy. I'm soul supporting. I don't get any child support. So um, my hands are really full. So for me to hop on the freeway here in Los Angeles and, you know, commute to an office uh, really isn't in the cards. And that's also one of the things, Byron, I wanted to share with the negotiating. Um, the last company that I worked for, uh, they wanted me in the office five days a week. And I said, okay, here's my five-day-a-week price, and here's my four-day and three-day-a-week price. And they took the three-day-a-week price that allowed me to only have to commute three days a week. And, you know, now, of course, I own my own company, so I don't commute. But um, prior to that, I found that there's all different ways to be compensated in your uh, salary beyond just money. And recognize that if you are hired as a telecommuter, uh, my sister Jill is a missile defense programmer and she telecommutes and her company, which is a division in Northrop Grumman, does not have to pay overhead for her. They don't have to give her an office. They don't have to, you know, give her the space. And if you're in somewhere like Los Angeles where space is a premium, that can be a big deal and that can mean more money in your pocket. And 
statistics show that people work longer, they're more satisfied, they have a better family life, they stay longer with the company that accommodates them in their work situations. And so I just wanted to throw that out there, Byron, insofar as working from home. Yeah, I think those are great things to consider. Uh, when it comes to any negotiation, let's start off with, you know, what is it that, that you want? If, if that's the lifestyle or, or if there are things that, you know, are priorities for you when it comes to your compensation, you know, see, you have to see if there's any way you can work that into the negotiation. The next piece is then, you know, finding out will the company be willing to do that? And that's where you, you can find out by doing your homework, kind of reaching out to other uh, other veterans, perhaps reaching out to other other people in your network who work in the similar in the same industry and see you know what options are given to them because at the end of the day that the that company wants to hire a very good candidate uh, but they and they, they know that the only way they can do that is by competing with all the other similar companies in that industry so if telecommunication for like a big company like Northrop Grumman is an option I bet you for all the other defense contractors it is also an option so that's the oh, first absolutely. thing, right? Setting your priorities, doing your homework, and then seeing, you know, can you, can you bring, bring that up professionally as an opportunity for your company? And next, you're just really looking for uh, it to be a really fair exchange of value. And what I mean by that is if you're it, – it's never about just getting what you want, right? Nobody's entitled to anything, and by no means do I think that when you negotiate your salary uh, that you deserve it. What I'm saying is, hey, if you have an opportunity where you say, look, this is what I could get elsewhere, or hey, this is something that would really be important to me, and it doesn't really cost the, the company much more, but it would make me a much better employee, then then you know why not ask for it? And what I'll tell you, in most cases, uh, 99% of the time, companies have no problem with you asking. What I tell people is, you're not always going to be successful in your salary negotiation, but that's okay. You know, you want the opportunity to at least ask because if you don't ask at all, you're not going to have the opportunity to telecommunicate, telecommute if you want. You're not going to get a, a bigger bonus or for them to pay your relocation expenses because they just don't know. They're just not going to think that you're expecting it. They're just going to give you an offer and say, hey, if she accepts it or he accepts it, that's great. Um, and I actually just wanted to bring up one point. Um, I think Sheryl Sandberg and Lean In uh, and in my book um, – there's some research that I show that the, one of the attributing factors to the gap in women's wages to men's wages uh, in the private sector is because women are actually less likely to ask. Time and time again, it's just shown women are less li- likely to negotiate, uh, and that leads to them not having a similar salary over the long term. So, so one thing that you can do immediately to help uh, boost your, your, your future long-term growth and earnings, start negotiating now and start doing it the right way. Um, ask professionally, uh, and I guarantee you, people will start seeing you uh, as a, in a much higher light. As in, you know, you're much more valued as an employee because they know they have to they have to pay you to to, to keep you. Well, and not only do they have to pay they keep you, but they got to pay you to do your job. And if doing your job is getting a job in the interview, how you conduct yourself kind of gives them an idea of how you're going to do that job in the future. I know when I interviewed for a sales manager position in Beverly Hills, the one thing I did was come back and negotiate, okay, this is you know where I want to – these are the hours I want to work. These are the things that I, I need to work because of my family condition. But you know this is what I can do. And you know I started 
started negotiating and they said, you know, negotiating was a big part of the job that I was being hired to do to teach salespeople how to negotiate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the one thing I remember my, my boss laughing in the middle and he goes, well, I can see you have no problem negotiating and, you know, we'll be a good, you know, negotiating trainer. So you realize uh, okay. that in your interview, you're also showcasing what you can do. Yes. I, I tell people this as well. Two things. One, uh, that's, that's such a great example. Uh, if you negotiate from the beginning, it'll be easier for your company to negotiate with you down the line. So if you want raises uh, at other points in your career, if there are times when perhaps the company isn't being as fair as you think it should, it'll be a lot easier for you to bring it up. If you set a consistent um, practice of saying of, of demonstrating that you will speak up for what you think is is worthwhile to you, right? Um, if you're if you're meek, if you if you'd never negotiate, and then you know twenty years uh, into your career you try to, your your company's going to be very surprised. And I know that for a fact because uh, I helped my father negotiate recently, and that was the issue we were coming up with because the company had never seen him uh, negotiate, and it, it was hard for him to convince them that um, you know it was worth their time to negotiate with him now because they're like, well, he, he might not ever do this again, so why, why don't we just let it slide this time? Well, uh, negotiating is a lot better than I quit. You know, right. in my 20s, I worked for Disney and CBS, and I was known as the girl who got mad and quit, and then they paid her more money <laughs> to come back. And, it, it, you know, yeah. it was fair. You know, yeah. I did. I wouldn't speak up. And, you know, here I went to Northwestern for my undergraduate and graduate. I've got, you know, really great creds, and I've got, you know, wonderful work experience. But I, one of the things I didn't do well was negotiate and speak up. I actually took a class on negotiating because I knew it was something I wasn't good at. And it's not something I was comfortable doing. You know, here I am raised, you know, Christian conservative, Upper East Coast, good girls don't ask. And boy, she's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> well, does that, does that, you know, th that's a very interesting point because a lot of people say that they're, they're not good at negotiating. They weren't raised that way. But are you not a good person now, Sandra, just because you negotiate? No, it's just a no, skill. No, not at a all. Right. It's just a skill. In fact, it's a, it's an important skill that I think, People don't teach because, one, most people are afraid and uncomfortable. And, two, for all the companies out there, it benefits them not to teach their employees to negotiate, right? Like, well, right. <laughs> they don't want everybody to be fighting for their value. Um, so what I, what I want your listeners to understand, one, it's not about being annoying or being not a good person, right? That's, that, I think that's, that's one of those limiting beliefs or that self, those self-doubts that you have to put out of your mind. Um, right, and then or two, understand it's a skill that if you practice, uh, you can get good at because most people don't. So if you're one of those few people that, that can communicate your value professionally and can uh, bring up your concerns very courteously, you will rise above uh, very quickly. Well, and money, you know, creates all sorts of weirdness. I know when I first started my company, Byron, I always left asking their budget, you know, to the last, you know, part of my presentation. And then, I don't know, I don't know if it was the seminar I took or I just woke up and thought like, you know, wow, this is just stupid because if they don't have the money, why am I spending all this time, you know, presenting to them if they, they don't have the money? And so now I'm all about show me the money, you know, in the first five minutes of the conversation, you know, this is a typical budget of what people spend spend in my company in a calendar year so that they know if they're not comfortable at that point. And I sense, like, I always go for the no. You know, I blow through the yeah. no's to get to the yes to the one person who's got a good budget that we can mutually agree on or give satisfactory benefits. But <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, that that's such was... a that's such a good point. Like, don't don't let other people's uncomfortableness affect you being the best that you can be. Right? Like, you, you've got a company to run, you've got sales that you got to make. Uh, don't give them a free presentation. Right? Figure out from the beginning. Hey, do you guys have the money to pay for this information? You know, it's it might be very upfront, but you know, why waste anybody else's time? Well, and I find people respect that, and then people come back to me, and they're very upfront about the budget they do have. Well, then I can decide whether or not I can work with them, what I can do for them, you know, and it and it really just gets to that productivity, you know, right off the bat, because there's nothing worse than pussyfooting around about price. Yeah, and I think another good way that I can explain negotiation to, to veterans is it's taking a leadership position, you know, lead the conversation, uh, let show people how they need to treat you um and that's how they will continue to treat you you know if they if you show them hey you expect respect you expect them to respect you and and what you're bringing uh, they will continue to do so and it's one of those things where i think if you go in very soft and meek they will continue to treat you that way right because we teach people how to treat us if i yes. say byron it is not okay you know that you do this or byron it is okay or i love when you do this you know you're not a mind reader and so we can become great friends based on communication and when people say communication it's saying what you need and what you want and you know what your goals are um i need to wrap it up i could talk to you all day uh, <laughs> we're too. visiting today with byron chen and his site is successvets.com it helps veterans with their transition into new careers after the military this guy knows what he's talking about you should check it out he's got lots of cool things on his site you can also follow him on facebook at success vets and go ahead and like his page uh next week we're going to be back with more great family friendly programming and if i had my notes in front of me i could tell you who that guest is but since i don't i'm just going to wish you a great week and we'll see you again uh next week have a good one Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with 